Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I am story expert and typical college girl, one assumes, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and sister of Gaia, Noelle LaCroix, and we're here today to talk about Hush, the 10th episode of season four. Oh my God. Hush aired on December 14th, 1999. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon with Douglas Petrie serving as executive story editor. Hush is one of the seminal episodes of Buffy. As the legendary story goes, Joss Whedon was tired of hearing that his big draw was his dialogue and decided to write a story with no dialogue at all, or at least very little. Weird flex, Joss, but okay. We get a lot of big moments in Hush, moments that would have big repercussions throughout the rest of the series, not the least of which is the introduction of one Tara McClay. Yay, Tara! Yay, Tara! And as you all know, by now, we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. We can talk about anything that happens at any time. And with Hush, we probably will. So, <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to know. Um, let's get into it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Fortune favors the brave. So let's go on patrol. Can't even shout. Can't even cry. The gentleman are coming by. Looking in windows. Knocking on doors. They need to take seven and they might take yours. Can't call to mom. Can't say a word. In Hush, the entire town of Sunnydale is struck mute when mysterious fairy tale monsters called the Gentlemen come to town to steal seven hearts. Literally. As the Scoobies silently work the problem to find out how to beat the magical predators and the town of Sunnydale descends into lawlessness, Buffy discovers that Riley is one of the mysterious commando guys she's been seeing around town. Meanwhile, Willow is disappointed with her Wicca group, but meets a shy girl named Tara there. When Tara is chased by the gentlemen one night, they work their magic together and manage to stay safe. After discovering that the only thing that can kill the gentlemen is a scream, Buffy heads out to break their magical box holding all of the voices. With Riley's help, kinda, the box is broken and Buffy screams, making all the gentlemen's heads explode. As the town regains its collective voice, Buffy and Riley sit down to talk and find that neither of them knows what to say. All right, so Noelle, oh my God, it's hush. We made it. We made it. We, we made it made to it. my and favorite episode. Just so everybody knows, I know. Just so everybody knows, when when Noelle and I were first talking about doing Still Pretty, we weren't sure if we were going to do it. We chose one episode to watch and do like a test episode of Still Pretty with, and it was Hush. Yep. And we had such a great time. It was so fantastic. And Noelle's notes were so unbelievably good that I was like, that's it. We're doing this thing. And she really didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, when Lonnie Diane Rich is like, you're going to do a podcast with me. Like, they're just, like your options are yes and hell yes. Like, that's just how it goes. I mean, that's actually not the case, but I do appreciate but, that. That's very I mean, <clears throat> but realistically, realistically, no, we we value we value and appreciate and honor consent here at Chippers Media. Yes. However, <laughs> 
All right. So here we are with Hush. And I think I don't have to ask you what you thought of the episode. My understanding is that you're okay with it. You think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty decent. Yeah, it's Uh okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's only okay. I mean, whatever. No, I fucking love this episode so fucking (laughs) much for so many reasons. I'm just going to dive right in because it's amazing. Okay. So we open. We open with Maggie Walsh telling us what it's all about. Communication, Mm -hmm. inspiration, thoughts, and experiences. And here we go. Right off the bat, a voice of authority laying down the lesson of the story first. Mm -hmm. It's like a fable that starts off and the moral of the story is. Exactly. You know? Like, and we're pretty, we're pretty open about this being Mm -hmm. a fairy tale. I mean, right. The show tells us and everyone in the show just accepts, mm-hmm. okay, fairy tale monsters, yeah. like, go. Um, yes. Fairy tales are often meant to teach lessons or to scare children mm-hmm. into compliance. So mm-hmm. here, of course, we have a teacher laying out for us what we're about to see and then setting the stage for a fairy tale moment with the kiss. Aww. And if you haven't figured it out, we're doing a fairy tale backwards we start with the moral and then we move Mm -hmm. on to the kiss so Mm -hmm. when walsh calls riley over she says be a good boy which i love Mm -hmm. i love i love her authority over him in the world of the show and in the world of buffy's Mm -hmm. psyche because spoiler alert it's a dream (laughs) it's a dream right so all of this is happening like it's it's walsh and it's riley and it's all but it's actually all buffy yes this is all buffy um Mm -hmm. but we can also read this direction from Walsh to Riley as her instructions to him as mm-hmm. part of the story. Right. Be a good boy, as in play the part of the boy in the right. story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've already heard that Riley's father has talked to him about what it means to be a gentleman. And yes, mm-hmm. I know I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> oh, we will get to that. We'll get there. Um <laughs> And then there's this like there's this weird ass line, right? He says, "When I kiss you, yes. it'll make the sun go down." Mm-hmm. What does this line have to do with anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm kind of serious. Well, like, I'm kind of serious and yeah. kind of not because I have a theory, yeah. and it's not a dancing demon. But right, right. Well, what's yours? Because I've got one. Okay, too. all right. So it's eerie, right? It mm-hmm. like it just sounds kind of off. Um, mm-hmm. and we know that Riley can sound kind of off, but this is like off even for Riley. Right. Mm -hmm. And it lets us, the audience, know that like, no, you guys are right. Like, this is totally weird. Um, Right. This is not right and probably Uh not actually real. So go you. Good catch. You figured it out, guys. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. But the line doesn't really have anything to do with the action of the episode. Mm hmm. Yeah. So. Buffy and Riley, I mean, Buffy and Riley do kiss in this episode and not only in Buffy's dream. And the action takes place at night. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of it for me. Right. Oh, well, see, for me, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit about like the essential darkness of fairy tales in their original form, you know, like way back in the day uh, that fairy tales were a way of, of, you know, like you said, frightening children into compliance, right in a dangerous, Mm -hmm. dangerous world. Um, But here we have this moment, if I kiss you, it'll make the sun go down. And the sun is Buffy's normal life, right? Buffy and darkness is the slayer. She's fighting 
vampires. They only come out at night. But during the day, she gets to be a normal girl. So Riley is actually dragging her back into this darkness, although she associates him with the normal sunny daytime at this point. So this is her, I think, knowing on some level that Riley is not as quote unquote normal as she would like to believe him to be. But we also have this sun and moon cards in, in the tarot, right? You know, where the sun is for celebration, everything is happy, everything is as it seems. But the moon makes us interpret shadows as something often more sinister than what they really are. The darkness comes out, you know, at night under the under the light of the moon. We don't see things the way that they really are. Part of being in like, you know, what I would call like a moon phase in this reference to the tarot is when, you know, you're reading the the world around you in a way that is much, much maybe more sinister and darker than necessarily it is. So Riley's kissing her brings that to her brings her into this darkness you know Mm. and Riley's shadow self is the actual truth of Riley which gets more and more shadowy you know as we move forward with Riley it just gets darker and darker (laughs) and stupider and whatever yeah um so that part I've always kind of read that way um it's it's Buffy telling herself that Riley is not the normal guy that he pretends to be or that she thinks he is well and this is also I just realized Buffy's Mm -hmm. record with sexuality is not great Mm -hmm. at this point. No. Like in terms Mm -hmm. of what happens for Buffy once things Mm -hmm. get physically intimate in a relationship. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sun goes down as in the darkness comes out. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, darkness is another marker of the fairy tale because after the sun goes down, that's when the monsters come out. Mm-hmm. And it's when people in fairy tales are truly themselves. So, right. you know, mm-hmm. you think about like the enchanted princess who is herself at night and a swan when the sun rises. Mm-hmm. Right. So like we're hitting this, we're hitting this fairy tale, you know, signs and signals really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And then we go to this little girl. Yeah. Is this baby Buffy? Is this Buffy's inner child? Like, who is this little girl? It kind of seems like maybe, although when we've looked back at Buffy, Buffy apparently, like, her hair is actually brown when we looked at baby Buffy before, right? Her hair was brown, mm. and so I doubt that this child was uh, was dying her hair. That is a tiny little detail. This is a dream. This is Buffy's vision of herself. So, yeah, I do think it is Buffy talking to herself that the, there are things that children see, right? The Emperor's New Clothes oh, yeah. is one of those classic stories about children being able to see Things that we as adults kind of edit out of our consciousness because of presumptions that we have, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of this little girl as like Buffy's inner wisdom, especially going off of what you just said about Buffy telling Mm -hmm. herself the truth about Riley in her dreams. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to me because uh, a woman's inner wisdom is usually depicted as a crone, but we have Mm -hmm. no crones on Buffy. Nope. Like off nope. the top of my head, I mean, somebody, somebody out there is like in their car or, you know, on the no. elliptical at the gym or we whatever. Going, what any, about any older women? I mean, Joyce is maybe no. in her 40s at this point, maybe That's, in her 40s yeah. at this point. And still the woman knows how to moisturize. And part of the thing that we celebrate <laughs> about Joyce is that she looks so young. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Joyce is definitely. I mean, That's her value. Yeah. That's part of her value. We get. 
we get some in season six. Double Meat Palace. We've got an older oh, woman. Oh, um, that's but we don't get much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, and um, she's the demon. Yeah, but <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, anyway, well, because our culture is real, real great to women to, past yeah, menopause, to women right? over forty. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, no, awesome. yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we have this child. We have this little girl who is doing our exposition, reinforcing. The fairy tale aspect of the episode with her mm-hmm. rhyming sing song, yeah. which reminds me that tune reminds me yes. of the trick or treat, smell my feet, uh, yeah. <laughs> give me mm-hmm. something good to eat. So we're putting this, you know, in the context of mm-hmm. Halloween too, which I think is really right. interesting. Yeah, I mean, oh my god, there's just so much. There's so much with the fairy tale signs and symbolism. I mean, the dark clock mm-hmm. tower, right, um, mm-hmm. and. That that in and of itself is not specifically fairy tale. I don't think, although the idea of a tower certainly is. But we have towers this clock. Are, right? mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got mm-hmm. the clock um, to point up that the story starts at midnight rather than ending right. at midnight, as per mm-hmm. fairy tale usual. So here we go mm-hmm. again, doing a fairy tale backwards, right. which is such a cool. It's such a fun thing. It's such thing, a cool yeah. idea. And I'm just going to geek mm-hmm. out about like how cool this is. And of course, I keep talking about the fairy tale. It's Giles's fairy tale book, right? I mean, I <laughs> always hold a book still just for a second when I take it off the shelf so the audience can read the title. Um, oh, yeah. You know, no, I do that all the time yeah. just in case it's like a Truman Show kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're all watching. It's fine. Right. Um, but what I love is that then... So, so Giles gives this lecture, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in the same lecture hall where the psych class is held, which is just a beautiful detail. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But what I love about that is there's no explanation needed for the gentleman beyond fairy tale monsters. Fairy tale monsters. That's all we get. Mm-hmm. That is all we yeah. get in the whole mm-hmm. episode, which is just lovely. Right. And then it's accepted. And not demons. They're fairy tale monsters. monsters. Yeah, right? yeah. We've defined everything as some form of demon, vampires, even some form of demon. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, and monster. somebody will correct me. I yeah. hashtag still pretty. I know somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the only time we are dealing with, you know, like monsters instead of demons. That our terminology is yeah. not essentially demonic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so great, and I love, yeah. I love that that's just accepted by everyone who yep. is in the audience of this mm-hmm. show which i'm just oh god i'm so i cannot yeah. i can't talk about hush without geeking out in just the biggest way possible so i'm gonna try to like keep a like a half a lid on it but right <laughs> don't even like apologies but apologies in advance like you guys don't want to yeah. hear you know an hour and a half of like noel squeeing over it's this so amazing great. piece of i think television. i think our audience will probably love maybe it. i think maybe. they'll probably be okay <laughs> But I just, but anyway, we will talk at length about Giles and this presentation that he gives with yes. the overhead projector. Mm-hmm. But something that, that really strikes me about it is that everyone assembled just accepts uh-huh. that fairy tale monster. Okay, cool. Check. Right. Like, yep. no questions. No questions mm-hmm. from the audience. And then at the mention of the princess, Buffy assumes that role yes. and no one protests. Yes. Like, it's wonderful. Right. It's like, okay, cool. They know and we know on which side our I- archetypes are buttered i guess like we know (laughs) like it's such a lovely it's such a lovely bit of storytelling 
in the way that it brings the audience along because like we know mm -hmm. we know yeah what is happening here and it's just it's so it's so lovely and of course giles draws buffy with the bow and arrow you know yep. as this like mm -hmm. maiden warrior archetype um, right with the big hips. Oh my god! Objects too. So we got a nice little bit of fat shaming there. So I like that. But, right. But what I love is that like he's genuinely confused. He's like, "What are you right. talking about?" She's like, "Oh my god!" And he's just, you know, like poor Giles, poor dad Giles was just like trying right. to throw this presentation together, and Buffy's exactly. gonna like nitpick, you know, right the proportions on her body. Um, yes. But of course, the crossbow, you know, gives her a nice parallel to Riley's weapon when they find themselves mm -hmm. face to face, you know, as their true selves at right. night in the dark. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, and we end with the scream. We end with the princess screaming. Buffy's mm -hmm. scream when she gets her voice back isn't a scream of terror. And it gives like it gives me goosebumps every time because it's a scream of power. Yeah. She's not a princess mm -hmm. in distress. She's the princess kicking ass and saving the day. Yes. And I just Which like, is another subversion yeah. of a lot of these these fairy tale tropes, right? Instead of being rescued by the guy, she tells him what to do. And then of course he fucks it up. We'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit. But right now, yeah. talking about like fairy tales as cautionary tales, right? It's one of the things we used originally, a lot of the fairy tales that we have culturally like Disneyfied, right? Mm -hmm. You know? were originally about um, scaring children into compliance and, and explaining the dangers of the world in a way that children could understand and process and be appropriately afraid of the world around right. them so that they would, you know, would, would be safe. Which, Age appropriate you know, I mean, traumatizing power, is what we're going for here. <laughs> Right, exactly. In, in a world that was, you know, very seriously dangerous for children and women and basically everybody. It was a really dangerous <laughs> like world. Nothing has um, changed, in which a lot of these stories, yeah, originally came up. Um, but stories, again, like, and I've, I've talked about this before. I talk about it over in How Story Works. If you are interested at all in narrative theory and, and all that kind of stuff, go to How Story Works. All those podcast uh, episodes are there. Um, but stories are really, like, literally the most powerful force on Earth. We, you know, go to war based on the story of who is the hero and who is the villain. Um, you know, you are the result of a story that your parents told each other. Um, that is literally the stories will control life and death and they do and we use them for everything stories reinforce our cultural presumptions back at us a lot of the things that we talk about in Buffy things that in the 90s seemed funny like jokes about people being gay when that is the joke right mm -hmm. um, it reflects our culture back at us it reflects us back at us and gives us an opportunity to kind of look at ourselves and be like well that ain't great you know um, so there's a lot but it also like when we do things within our stories that reinforce a lot of those uh, presumptions um, without question it ends up like you know preserving current power structures as well so like power structures are defined by the way that we tell our stories it is unbelievable how incredibly powerful they are so when you go back to the fairy tale which is this classic story that has wound its way through time in the minds of children, right? When we are at our most susceptible to the power of stories, although we're susceptible our whole lives through. But when you're children, especially very susceptible to the power of stories. 
you know, the classic fairy tale is often used as a cautionary tale, you know, to to scare children into compliance. Uh, we've talked at length, you know, in this uh, in this podcast about Little Red Riding Hood, because that is a theme that comes up over and over and over again for Buffy. Um, you know, and it is a warning for women, especially young girls, not to go into the quote unquote woods or sexual activity, because if they do, a wolf will eat them <laughs> and kill their grandmother. Hot. And break grandma's heart. <laughs> but mama, I love him. Don't break your grandma's heart. Hot. Right? Yes. Exactly. I right here. Um, Bring it. And the thing is, it's funny that we even call them fairy tales, right? Because fairies, before they became the cute little things that you clapped to save in Peter Pan, were tiny, dangerous, magical beings with sharp teeth that hid in the forest and stole babies. Like fairies were nothing to fuck with, you know? Um, so fairy tales almost always at their core, at their like original, you know, presentation and, you know, culturally um, have some kind of dark force preying on society's most vulnerable children, especially female children, uh, to warn them of the dangers that the world had to offer. And fairies themselves are very often represented as tiny little women, right? Mm -hmm. We actually, you know, created Tinkerbell Right. This sparkly, harmless, tiny little thing that has a little bit of magic and a little bit of glitter coming off of her, you know, in this like Disney-fied era. But back in the day, Tinkerbell would kick some ass. Tinkerbell was tiny, but she would fuck you up, you know, like that. The fairy tales are like dangerous, you know. I love it. So we've stripped away a lot of that darkness from our fairy tales. But then that's what makes the gentleman and the relation of the gentleman to Slenderman so freaking fascinating for me. Now I'm going to go off I love this. The, the track a little bit with this, but just bear with me because I think it's interesting. In 2009, which was 10 years after Hush aired, the idea of the Slenderman, like this creepy, unnaturally thin, often faceless monster dressed in a full suit, totally dangerous, often to children. Um, it almost feels like a psychic response to the Disneyfication of our modern fairy tales that the teeth, you know, both literally and figuratively were taken out of our fairy tales. And this is us as a culture putting those teeth back in, which I find really interesting. Buffy's The Gentleman actually cited as an inspiration for The Slender Man by Eric Knudsen, who created Slender Man on the Something Awful forums in 2009. And one of the interesting things about Slender Man, like our fairy tales, the specifics and meaning of his stories vary based on who is telling them, who is taking these stories and running with them as the Slender Man has become something that sort of took over in the popular culture. Um, but instead of going through centuries of retellings where these events of this core tale, we don't even have events that are related to Slender Man. He's just an idea. He's just an icon put into all of these different kinds of stories that have been told around him. Um, but something lit on fire with the Slender Man and part of our cultural consciousness, which I find really so interesting. So instead of going through centuries of retellings, right, with Slender Man ends up being inserted into all these different stories where he is almost more, less of a, we're seeing less shift, shifting happen with the events of whatever happens around Slender Man. Like nobody knows the story that Slender Man comes from. He just shows up in these stories and he's really more of a thematic shapeshifter, changing from moment to moment, from story to story, much like our modern culture, which is defined, I mean, let's face it, more by change than anything else. In the last, I don't know, 60 years of humanity, we've had more fundamental cultural, social, social, uh, technological change than like any, you know, the whole mm -hmm. of human history before that. Like it's been insane. 
So here we have Slenderman, which is something that will fit in almost any environment. You know, he disappears. He lurks in the shadows. He's more about what you don't see than what you do see. You'll see him for a split second and then he's gone. But it's like a malevolent force just follows him around and actually warps the minds of the people around him. And there was that um, thing that happened with those young girls, mm-hmm. you know, who tried to kill their schoolmate. And this is real life and said that Slenderman told them to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So Slenderman is like this malevolent malevolent force in people's minds. I think it is like a um, an objectification of actual darkness within us that we really try to ignore. We've disnified all of these dark tales, right? Mm-hmm. We're shining the light. We're pretending everything is okay when everything is not okay, you know? Um, and Slender Man kind of allows us to live in a world where that darkness is there, infecting our minds, infecting our souls, turning us against ourselves. And I was just talking about the moon phase, right? In the tarot, where the shadows that you see often feel darker Um, you know, in the tradition of our classic fairy tales, you Mm -hmm. know? So I really love all of that. And here we have, you know, these gentlemen. Um, And the Slender Man, too, is about uh, what we see, which can even then lie to us. Like our eyes can be as much traitors to our reality as our words. And words are one of the things that we're using in this episode to talk about the, the ways in which we deceive ourselves and each other is through the use of language. And that only when we all have to shut up and nobody can use language <laughs> anymore do we actually start telling the truth, which I think is really super interesting. Yeah. So the idea that these that these fairy tale monsters Um, sparked this actual creation of mythology, which we saw happen live. Most mythologies happen so far back that there is no record of its beginning. But here we've actually watched and witnessed culturally a piece of mythology be born and how it gets used and what like cultural space it fills, Mm -hmm. you know, which is our need to acknowledge the darkness. Yeah. And the Slender Man does that. And the gentlemen were part of the inspiration for that. I thought that was fascinating. And I love, I just love that you go off on this like riff about <laughs> Slender Man in the midst of hush. No, for like multiple reasons, right? Like we're talking about, we're going to talk about what we say and hear and like what the truth is um, later on with this episode, because of course we are, <laughs> right? That when we all shut the fuck up, mm-hmm. that's when the truth comes out. But um, what I love so much about um the the slender man you know modern fairy tale urban legend mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. you know it's this it's group participation in this urban mm-hmm. legend and urban legends yes. um you know which is really i mean that's kind of there's a lot of overlap with fairy tales mm-hmm. right like they are kind right. of our contemporary fairy tales they get spread um, usually by word of mouth or, you know, mm-hmm. in the late 90s, probably by like email forwards, right? Like don't, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and it's stuff like, oh, I don't know, like razor blades and apples at Halloween. It's mm-hmm. like, again, right. it's like warning. It's supposed to be this warning to children and to mm-hmm. parents really about like how dangerous the world is. Um, mm-hmm. But something that's interesting to me about urban legends is that urban legends... And I mean, this is like a gross generalization because we just don't have enough time on this podcast. Right. But urban mm-hmm. legends tend to come about in times of social change. Um, mm-hmm. So if this were the Slenderman podcast, I would want to know like what was going on societally in 2009 when Slenderman was created. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
mm-hmm. probably the recession, but whatever. Different podcast. Yeah, well, we just we had just gotten a black man as president. Oh, that shit. Was pretty yeah, huge, that's a right? huge big deal uh, to some of us so more here so we, than others. Here we put this this very dangerous, you know, very thin, but very pale man in a suit Who's coming to get your I mean, children? Is yeah. he kind of the evil of white supremacy? I mean, maybe. maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe there might be something. Like I, don't that. I don't know. So, but urban legends and social change, urban legends, modern fairy tales, social change. And I'm struck mm-hmm. by where we get this episode of Buffy in the arc mm-hmm. of Willow's love and sex life where Mm -hmm. we are making the transition from relationships with men to relationships with women. Um, Uh Footnote, I'm going to be speaking in the binary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like that's just <laughs> that's how I have to do this to to mm-hmm. have this conversation, but we all know right. gender is a creation of society, the binary is imaginary and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um I think it is especially noteworthy that The first Mm -hmm. appearance of Tara happens in an episode where the antagonist is pointedly, explicitly male. They are Mm -hmm. the gentlemen, you know, and Giles's overhead transparency asks, who are the gentlemen? Well, they're Mm -hmm. fairy tale monsters, but they are clearly human shaped. Well, they're human-esque. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like, they're human enough that you like recognize Mm -hmm. them as Right. Human-ish, you know, like male right. aristocracy, right? And their dress mm-hmm. matches that idea with like the suits and ties and all that. Mm-hmm. They float. <laughs> like right. they don't touch anything, but they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no explanation other than fairy tale monsters. Right. No one asks what mm-hmm. the hell fictional characters are doing in Sunnydale because this is just the right. show that we're on, you know. We don't talk about what kind of demon they yeah. are, which is unusual for us and yeah. Buffy. Yeah. And why do they need mm-hmm. seven hearts? They just do. They just They just do. do. Are they collecting them for fun just because they can, because they're powerful? Is this mystical fox hunting? We never know. know. And that's mm-hmm. part of what makes mm-hmm. them so fucking scary. But yeah. they are accompanied by these straight-jacketed henchmen who act as their muscle. Mm-hmm. And the gentlemen and the henchmen have this, there's this this different energy about each of them. They work together, mm-hmm. but these are the two types of men we've seen in Oz. The mm-hmm. calm, cool, you know, like above it all, literally, if right. you're the gentleman and you're floating. Mm-hmm. And the animalistic, mm-hmm. erratic, wild of werewolf Oz. So that's so interesting. It's a story about like the gentlemen and who they are is a story about class, but it's Mm -hmm. also a story about men and the fact that men are the site of violence and terror in this episode where Willow first makes her connection with the woman who will become the love of her life for the next while. Mm -hmm. And the driving force for her descent into darkness is really, mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. Um, yeah. You know, especially as a queer woman. Like, as mm-hmm. a queer woman, it feels very specifically like the cishet male's imagination of female queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, like, you know, this idea that women seek out relationships with other women because they've had bad experiences with men. <laughs> um, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've already talked about 
the the use of the word lesbian on the show uh, in the previous episode mm-hmm. with Riley and the Lesbian Alliance, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's jokey. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, les- we like to make women's desire the butts of jokes because, you know, hashtag misogyny, hashtag homophobia, right. you know, and that's followed... I didn't really talk about this in uh, Something Blue, but that that, Mm -hmm. you know, Riley's I'm a lesbian is followed immediately by his rap about driving and how Buffy doesn't drive, just hasn't had a good experience. Oh, and how he specifically will show her a good time. Oh, my goodness. You know? Oh, my goodness. Which, like, I mean, yeah, you know, and and I will get into Riley's connection to the gentleman in a few minutes. Yes. But yes. No, I want to talk about that a little bit first, though, because you're talking about the gentleman. Um, And culturally, we associate gentlemen with being a quote unquote good man. Right. And that is absolutely not true. A gentleman denotes a series of behaviors or affectations or, you know, representations, present outward presentations that look like a good man, but are in fact not necessarily really good. A gentleman protects women, right? He holds doors open. He's chivalrous. A gentleman wears suits. A gentleman adheres to societal rules of behavior rather than adhering to an actually useful, ethical, moral code. A gentleman looks like a good man, but he is not a good man, as we see with these guys, right? They've got all of those societal affectations of sophistication, gentlemanly behavior, you know? <laughs> but what I also love about this is, though, when a woman gets her fucking voice back, that's the only thing that can kill him. Me too, motherfucker. I love that. Yep. I love that at the yep. end. And it's a woman's voice specifically. It's not any human voice. It's this. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's rad. It's so rad. So Mm -hmm. gentlemen, obviously not all that they are maybe. Yeah. I mean, gentlemen, gentlemen is an affectation and it, and it's, it's one of these things where like, if you have those affectations, you are associated with the idea of goodness without actually having to be good. You can do all of those things and collect human hearts in jars. Yes. Right. And, but you're still affecting that that outward appearance of goodness. Although with the gentlemen, of course, with their teeth and with their skin, with their floating and their creepiness, <laughs> you know, we're getting we're getting a sense of what they really are underneath it all. But they have all the affectations of goodness without actually being good. Yeah. And they actually they I mean, they go through the motions beautifully. Yeah. The mm-hmm. I mean, Shout out to Doug Jones and the pantomime of, you know, oh, hand me the scalpel. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. Right. And then the round of applause, the like gentlemanly applause. Oh, yes. And the oh, nothing. Oh, no. Oh, yes, it was exactly. nothing. You know, they're so, yes. the pantomime is so freaking good. Oh, and speaking mm-hmm. of Doug Jones, who is our head, yes. our head gentleman, he played mm-hmm. Slenderman in the titular movie in the oh did he really yes, he <laughs> wow it's a small world um it is when you need a six foot four trained <laughs> mime acrobat <laughs> performer like there's he's amazing yeah. he's also the he's yeah. also the the love interest in um shape of water which i almost called a fish out of water which is something else oh fish out but of yeah water. i mean if you need somebody if you need somebody who's going to act with their whole body and not say anything, yeah, you hire somebody who's yeah. trained in mime. There you go. Um, Grab that guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this idea of gentleman being an affectation, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. so much because Riley, 
Poor Sweet Riley has so much invested in being a gentleman. I mean, he oh, talks about yeah. courting Buffy, which I love. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's one of those, like, excuse me, I need to go get my tongue scraper kind of moments with Riley. Uh, and you guys yeah. know I love Riley, but, you know, every now and then I'm just like, <laughs> oh, God, you know. <laughs> you know, but his, yes. like his father, his, his daddy taught him mm-hmm. how to be a gentleman, you know. His... Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure... Maggie Walsh addresses the commandos as gentlemen, as in mm-hmm. gentlemen suit up. We have a situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and obviously, yes, I know this is a common word in the English language. You know, we still say ladies and gentlemen when addressing a mm-hmm. crowd and, you know, erasing all of our gender queer non-binary friends, whatever. Yes. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Transphobic fucking society. Anyway, I was on a tear before we started recording and now I'm just like, my dander is still yes. a little bit up. So excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's just fine. But it still seems really significant that we have pointedly connected Riley with mm-hmm. this idea of being a gentleman several times. And then in Buffy's yeah. dream... Where, and and I think you're right on about this, she's telling herself the truth about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He literally mm-hmm. becomes one of the gentlemen. That's the first time yeah. we see this monster. Yeah. Riley puts his mm-hmm. hand on her shoulder and when she turns around, there he, there is. he is. There's mm-hmm. the monster. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a freaking brilliant. Just... It is. And it is Buffy telling herself that Riley is no goddamn good. Now look, I often say that a good romance <laughs> is based on two people who work really uh, well together. Uh, uh. Buffy and Riley are almost working against each other in the fight with the gentleman. She tells him to smash the voice box. He smashes the wrong thing and then looks I mean, at her so like, oh, look, look, I did a thing. He's like, right? I did the thing. <laughs> I know. And I, I know the whole theme of how they've been talking. They haven't been talking to each other. They haven't been communicating with each other because they're both lying to each other and they can't work well together if they don't know who the other one is you know fine but also like Buffy doesn't want him because of him she wants him because he's normal and you know because of his arms or whatever (laughs) those are good arms to have that is the best thing she has to say about Riley at this point is he's he's doesn't make me feel passionate You know, he's probably not going to hurt me. Oh, shit. And he's got big arms. Those are not reasons to date somebody, you know? There is literally nothing about Riley that she actually (laughs) likes about Riley. And here she is in her dream trying to tell herself that this guy, first of all, is a gentleman, you know, which is not necessarily associated with actually being good. Um, And also that when he kisses her, the sun is going to go down. It's literally going to bring darkness into her life and her soul. Like, dump him now. (laughs) Get out while you still can. (laughs) Get out. It's a bad romance. I hate the whole thing. All right. Well, (laughs) the whole thing like okay all right season four well i'm realizing two things i'm realizing two things one Uh of them is i really like season four but also yeah season four Mm -hmm. is a fucking weird season i mean Mm -hmm. we haven't yet met the big bad of season Mm -hmm. four or have we? <laughs> or have we? Like, well, we have, but we have. We have, but we haven't. Yeah. But here's, and I mean, here we are, episode yeah, 10. This is you know, episode 10. This mm-hmm. is episode 10. Do you guys remember who the big bad of season four is? Because I didn't, honestly, until I looked it mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah. I think the big bad of season four is actually men. Ooh, I'm, interesting. I mean, okay, but. I love this. Yeah. yeah. How many? It's all right. We're on episode 10. 
how many mm-hmm. frat houses have we been to already? Like, uh-huh. like a million? Yeah. I don't know. Several. Mm-hmm. Huh. And nothing good happens in nothing frat houses. Nothing good happens in frat houses ever. <laughs> how many times? Oh, my God. Lonnie, how many times did we have to see previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh, fucking Parker God. Abrams? Like, he has had so much. You know, I remember when I think back to season four, I'm like, Parker Abrams is really annoying, but he's in like two episodes. Dude's dude is in like five he's episodes. In every episode. Terrible. Somehow. Yes. It's ridiculous. He weasels his way and the in. The impact that he leaves, even after he's gone, is still previously. Previously. Buffy slept with this douchebag. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so then she goes and finds riley yeah because yeah. I mean, parker and we get mm-hmm. riley is parker's fault and i will never forget <laughs> yeah and of course we see we see parker's true face when he's speaking mm-hmm. to riley oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah but i right. mean men like men are kind of a thing in season four like even giles giles is having a tougher time with buffy's transition to college than her legal parent who we right. never see have we even seen joyce like, we've seen joyce, we saw joyce once. once yeah yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and then i mean what else do we have for men in season four so far we're in episode 10 mm-hmm. by the way guys yeah I mean, mm-hmm. we have the mystery of the commandos, right? So they're like these all mysterious men, men right? like stalking Except around. Except Maggie Walsh, who runs it, but it's all men, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's a plot point. Like there are guys mm-hmm. wearing no underpants stalking around campus mm-hmm. in army gear. Mm-hmm. Oz, Oz's departure is a big mm-hmm. fucking deal so far. Again, men and like specifically his behavior as a man, that he's one way Mm -hmm. some of the time and one way another part of the time. And, oh, I have to leave to keep you safe. And sheets on Willow. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What else do we have? Spike. Uh We have Spike. And we have all of the we have all of the impotence jokes about Spike. Mm -hmm. We have very specifically like penile jokes about Spike. I mean, last time in Something Blue with, you know, uh, impotent impotent, flaccid. flaccid. I love Buffy calling Mm -hmm. him flaccid, though. I have to say that's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. this is a man, 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 man world. Like, there's men. It's so about the men in Mm -hmm. Buffy's sphere. Well, except Xander. Like, Xander is the one who is actually, like, getting more traditionally feminine qualities, right? He's becoming the heart of the group. He's the one everybody goes to with the problems. He's nurturing. He gives advice. He talks them through their shit, right? He's caring for everybody in a way that we traditionally associate with the female. So Xander is kind of the only one, like, the only man that doesn't have this kind of, you know like toxic representation yeah i mean it's not and this isn't it's not toxic necessarily like i don't think all of giles in season four is toxic i hate giles no no no, no, no. but i think giles Mm -hmm. you know the fact that we're like focusing in a small way on giles Mm -hmm. and his transition to air quotes father of a college student is significant. Right. I'm not sure that that's his, his problem. As a matter of fact, I think that's the thing that's holding him together. For Giles, it seems more like he has lost his sense of his own identity because he doesn't really have work to right. do. Right. 
you know, that he is very much identified through his work. He is no longer a librarian. He is no longer a watcher. So what is he? The only role that he really has left is patriarch. Right. You know, um, being Buffy's, you know, quote unquote father. Um, But at the same time, his most like how he wants to interact with all of these people is just as part of the team that supports Buffy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so we get all of these little looks into the the like the manliness of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. for lack yeah. of a better a better way of phrasing. And then of course there's Adam. Remember right. Adam, you guys? Like I mean, <laughs> I don't want to spend any time talking about Adam in an episode with as much to talk about as Hush, but we right. haven't met Adam yet, guys. And he's We haven't like, met Adam yet. But Adam like uh, how you define the big bad of season four, because I mean, really, at this point, it's Maggie and it will be Maggie for quite some time. And Adam is her creation. Right. She, he exists because of her. She is mother, which is so freaking Whoa. gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that whole thing is gross. But Maggie really is the the, you know, like insane you know, mad scientist at the heart of all of this. And she is the one who's creating all of these problems. So it's really interesting, though, that the weapon that she creates, you know, to go out and and fight in this, like, demon war is a hodgepodge male-presenting half-human, half-demon. Isn't he? You know, not... He's also a robot, I mean, isn't Well, he? some human parts. Yeah, he's like a... <laughs> He's he's yeah. he's man parts <laughs> like he's, he's man parts. He is this idea, but this this hashed together sense of the toxically masculine, you know, that ends up going off the rails, of course, mm-hmm. you know, because it's always going to. Um, but it's really interesting, though, that, that it, he's actually put together by a woman who doesn't understand him or his purpose. And that and, you know, and it comes bringing it back to hush. Right. It's that lack of communication and lack of understanding, you know, between men and women that we always go back to because most of the communication problems here are between men and women. When we when we get to talking about, you know, the dialogue and the silence and how silence breeds truth, none of the women like you know, there's no lies between Buffy and Willow that they can't figure out. You know, mm-hmm. Anya's having a problem with Xander. Buffy's having a problem with Riley. Mm-hmm. You know, it's men and women being unable to actually communicate well with each other. And here we have this woman creating this, this patch together, all the toxic parts of both human and demon hashed together in this sort of kind of robot guy, you know, monster. We'll get there when we get there. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. I think with Adam, when we get there, but it is, yeah, but I do. There's, there's a lot of stuff. So I don't know. The season four Big Bad, I think, is like thematically really muddy. Yeah. You know, and looking at it as being like, is it is it about men and their struggle to find themselves in a story that is about a woman transitioning from childhood to adulthood? Yeah. Or that is ostensibly supposed ostensibly. to be about a woman transitioning yeah. from, from childhood to yeah. adulthood. But Buffy ends up being kind of like, you know, we we're talking about in a previous episode how she's the object of the episode yes you know she's not the focus and so here we have Buffy going through all this transition but everything seems to be about everybody but Buffy yeah well in this this episode Hush feels so Mm -hmm. much I mean we talked about it at the start like it's this big yeah it's this big moment for Willow Mm -hmm. and her development as a character and where she's Mm -hmm. gonna go um 
And I, I don't know. I've just, I'm still, I'm still kind of geeking out on the, the fact that like our lesbian love interest shows up amongst the I gentlemen. Know. Like it just kind of seems like it, it seems very, I said it already. I don't need to say it again, but you know, very like, no, I like that male. I think it's good. So, it's a really, it's a really good observation. So, like so speaking it. of this, like Joss Whedon flex, right? This like, mm-hmm, I'm going to write a story right. with no dialogue in it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like when you do that, you know, when you, when you mm-hmm. do something, I'm tempted to call it gimmicky. I don't think it's gimmicky, but you know, when you, when yeah. you're doing, when you're obviously doing a thing mm-hmm. like that and you know, you say like, there's not going to be a lot of dialogue. I'm like, sweet. Let me zoom in on the dialogue that there is, <laughs> you know, like. Oh, yeah. So- and there's not a there's not a word in this. I mean, pretty much that doesn't speak to things. It's so good. It's so great. Yeah. I love, love, love Buffy's line. She and Willow are talking about Riley. Every time we talk, I have to lie. Mm-hmm. I love this so damn much because it suggests that in this period of silence that we're about to have. We're going to get lots and lots of truth, people. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) strap in. Because we see, I mean, (laughs) my favorite story expert says all the time that we see who characters are based on their actions, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This starts immediately. I mean, even before we establish the, even before the the silence has happened. I mean, after class, Mm -hmm. Riley's there to, like, insert himself between Willow and Buffy and their conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. This is where the shine mm-hmm. starts to like rub off of Riley for me, by the way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he literally comes between them and right. picks up as part of their conversation. I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, they were speaking, you know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I love, you know, we see how Willow is watching Buffy and Riley when mm-hmm. she's spying on them you know she's like yes. oh, I'm gonna go and then she like loops back around to spy on them it's mm-hmm. not predatory spying it's this kind of like adorable she's right because she wants her vi- vicarious she smoochies. wants her vicarious smoochies <laughs> yes. and I'm like yeah okay same mm-hmm. um Yep, yep. You know, and it's also just adorable with that, like, silent film sort of kaplink piano music. It's adorable. (laughs) Freaking adorable. So that action is so, like, deeply Willow to me. It just, it brings me all the joy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and then when Buffy and Willow arrive back at their dorm room, Buffy goes to the mini fridge, almost on autopilot. And she gets a drink for herself mm-hmm. and she gets a drink for Willow. And they're different. They're different sodas Aww, because they clearly right. have an understanding. They know each other. Yes, of like yes. who likes what. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm not mm-hmm. going to ask you if you want to, you know, a Sprite or Dr. Pepper. Because yep. I know. I know because mm-hmm. I pay attention to you. My friend. <laughs> Sorry, I have feels. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and then, of course, of course, when Sunnydale is silent, like the actions speak louder than words theme oh hello. right yes. it's mm-hmm. so much more pronounced starting with you know our our core characters poor willow poor right. baby she assumes that mm-hmm. there's something wrong with her she says i've got right. to have <laughs> and xander oh 
God love him, immediately assumes that Spike is responsible, right? Oh my God, I know. I love it so much. Spike tied to the chair. Yeah, and Spike is just like, oh, good Lord. You know, and Xander, sweet Xander, his first impulse is to call Buffy on the phone. Poor Xander. But then they're, and I love them realizing together. Phone rings and she picks yes. up and he's like, and we cut back and forth and they're both just like, oh shit, like this isn't going to work. <laughs> and of course, Spike, Spike, mm-hmm. our truth teller, right, is the first right. one to accept the silence and just go to gestures and eye rolls. Like he doesn't even bother. Exactly. He understands. Yeah. You know, I mean, Spike has been around for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's hella old. Not as old as my last person. But. <laughs> but he doesn't need, like, it doesn't affect him as much because he's right. not lying. When he right. speaks, we mm-hmm. see, we've seen that. I mean, pretty much ever since he joined the group in Pangs, yeah. he's been like, look, mm-hmm. this is the truth of the yeah. situation. Exactly. So not being able to speak spike doesn't give a fuck <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah. so great it's so great i love it so so much um and a detail that i especially love is that the initiative is voice activated right mm-hmm. which means it runs on lies lonnie <gasps> it runs on speech, oh my god so it runs on lies. it's a Oh, my God. Blowing my mind with I that mean, shit. But yeah, you're right. I mean, but like, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. We've had this whole, you know, and then, of course, there's the whole deal with like Forrest and Riley and about, yeah. you know, you talk too much. And uh-huh. well, I mean, and who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about that and maybe we won't. It's pretty on the nose, though. It's all really on the nose. I mean, there is there's one thing Joss Whedon freaking loves nothing more than a theme that he can beat into the crowd. <laughs> we have Maggie Walsh opening with communication and language not being the same thing. Right. Because language is used, I mean, as often, if not more often, to dissemble away from communication, actual <laughs> truth communication, right? Um, we have the little girl singing, you know, and she actually communicates something real, you know, warning Buffy. Um, and when Riley asks about his role in Buffy's dreams, she says, I'm not saying a word, right? And then they both use language to lie to each other about petroleum and grading papers, right? You know, so they go through that whole thing. Anya trying to talk to Xander about their relationship and Xander responds with, we'll talk about it later. Uh, but Anya continues to talk about it in Giles's house. I love that. Was that an orgasm, friend? I love that whole thing. And she's talking about it honestly in front of Giles and Spike. And everyone else hides behind words and dissembling. But Anya does not because Anya is essentially other. Even though she is human, she was a demon for a thousand years. And her reading everything as literal, you know, is part of like her thing. So she's also a little bit of a truth teller, yeah. you know, as well as she'll just say whatever it is that's going on, you know, um, Giles says that he needs Xander to take Spike for a few days and everyone goes, what, what, what? what? <laughs> Janet, you know? Dr. So Stubb, right. Janet, Brad, exactly. like, it's great. I love <laughs> What? <laughs> So even when somebody talks, no one is hearing. And then they all just start arguing over each other. So all of the words are getting muddled up together and they do absolutely nothing but blend into nonsense. And then we have the Wicca group, right? Tara tries to speak, but she can't. Right. Which I think is significant because Tara is somebody. And when Tara comes down right after all the silence, everybody's freaking out. 
you know, girls are crying, like this whole thing. And Tara just walks right through the center of it. Yep. You know, she can walk right through it because she understands she sees rather than speaks, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is really kind of a neat thing about Tara. Um, we have Willow saying talk, all talk about the Wicca group. Buffy about Riley. See above, re-talk, all talk. <laughs> Every time we talk, I have to lie. Riley to Forrest, so you're naturally inclined to talk too much. I don't have that. Spike mocking Anya for Xander. We never talk. <laughs> And then Olivia, the last line of dialogue said before this whole thing goes south is that's enough small talk, don't you think? Right. Yep. So they hit this like a mallet <laughs> throughout the whole thing, talking about the the ineffectiveness of basic language. You yeah. Know, um, and how it just doesn't work. And then once people stop talking, we start to get to the truth. Riley is unable to hide behind his words. He finally kisses Buffy. Um, Riley and Buffy seeing each other for the first time for what they actually are. Willow being able to cast a spell with Tara as they combine their silent power, realizing the truth about who they both are, but also no words, no matter. Magical supplies. The two of them together are powerful just in who they are. They don't need to lean on words. Words essentially become immaterial with the two of them together. (laughs) It is so great. Anya wants to talk about whether or not Xander actually cares about her. But she realizes that he does when he attacks Spike, when he thinks that Spike bit her. Right? And he starts beating up Spike. And then she's fine. You know, and then, of course, she wants to go and have sex. So she does a little motion for that. I freaking love Anya. Anya is like my favorite thing. That Um, gesture. I could talk for 20 minutes about that. Yeah. That gesture is between that and the masturbation gesture in the Dance Macabre oh, scene with Giles. And it's, I mean, this is stuff that got past the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the standards and practices. People. <laughs> um, and thank God it did because it's freaking wonderful. But I mean, basically, this whole thing is about show, don't tell that words are essentially meaningless. Mm-hmm. And I find that really, really interesting. And thematically, Whedon hits that. I don't know that I've ever seen him hit a theme this hard. Well, I mean, you know, when you're when you are, you know, initial caps doing a thing. I right. think part mm-hmm. of the part of the joy and part of the weird flex of doing the thing mm-hmm. is hitting it super mm-hmm. hard. Um, oh, because, yeah. You know, not only do we get this like, show don't tell mm-hmm. kind of message but but visually visually mm-hmm. we are very much i mean there's there is always a lot of really beautiful visual mm-hmm. storytelling on buffy the series yeah. as a whole here because we are doing a thing <laughs> mm-hmm. we get this really right. beautiful composition that comes up over and over and over again where we're looking at frames or we're looking at people mm-hmm. in rectangles um which yeah. is very reminiscent of film and television so in addition mm-hmm. to pointing up like the you know how ineffective speech is mm-hmm. we're simultaneously pointing up how effective the visual is so like for example Mm -hmm. i mean there are frames within frames just everywhere i mean from the very Mm -hmm. beginning with maggie walsh speaking about you know what the moral of the story is and there's a chalkboard Mm -hmm. behind her like a movie screen framing her willow spying on buffy and riley as they discuss buffy's dreams in terms of tv and film so cameo featured role romantic lead they're talking about Mm -hmm. visual storytelling while right. they're framed in the, like the, it's not a window, 
but you know, mm-hmm. like the the arch or the yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. The they're like on a portico, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there's so there's mm-hmm. this frame mm-hmm. around them, and they're speaking in these romantic film terms, you know, um, you know, and that conversation, of course, ends with Buffy saying, "I'm not saying a word," which feels really right. meaningful when we consider, you know, that she's obviously, you know, she doesn't want to lie to him, but right. also, mm-hmm. you know. She doesn't want to tell him. She doesn't want to tell him. She's being playful. So Mm -hmm. the the playfulness, but also the dishonesty, there's that kind of a thread running through as well. Um, That there's this slow camera move through Giles's house that I so Mm -hmm. love when Giles is on the phone with Buffy. Mm -hmm. And then we settle on Giles as he hangs up the phone and his kitchen... Again, it's not a window. There's a name for this. I don't know mm-hmm. architecture, right. but he's got that like breakfast bar. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a cutout great. in the wall. Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. so great. Mm-hmm. And then Spike yeah. appears in that window yes. framed mm-hmm. as though he's on TV. Yep. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so yeah. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I love it, especially when we consider Spike's connection to TV. I mean, we talked about, right. you know, passions mm-hmm. and how much he needs his telly time. But Spike right. has been connected to television really from the mm-hmm. get-go. Like, he likes oh, television. Yeah. It's one of the many things Remember I... Remember watching Buffy yep. on video. That's when he fell mm-hmm. in love with her, season two. It's mm-hmm. one of the many things I love about Spike is his love for, like, mm-hmm. media. And he, you know, he treats humans with disdain. But, like, he, he really likes them. <laughs> but he loves human things. He likes humans. He likes the world. Yeah. He doesn't want to destroy yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and our our reveal, a lot of our reveals of the gentleman come in this same like frame within a frame. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Olivia looking out the window. And mm-hmm. there's this gentleman framed like way in the distance, kind of in the doorway mm-hmm. of someone's porch. And then whoosh, you know, Doug Jones, yeah. a gentleman like right into the frame. And it's like a oh, horror movie mm-hmm. within a horror movie. It's so great. It's so great. Makes yeah. me jump every time, mm-hmm. even though I know it's coming. I love it so much. Um, what else? What else do we have? Oh, I mean, we can't talk about visual storytelling without talking about Olivia being an artist. Uh-huh. Right. She draws... Mm-hmm. She draws what she saw, and that is what sparks Giles's. Wait a second. <laughs> right. Couldn't he have asked Olivia to draw Buffy? <laughs> he could have. He could maybe have asked her for help with the slides. Although I kind of like that he didn't. I, oh my you know? god. Also, I like that he didn't <laughs> ask her to do that. But um, but clearly she's got some skills. Yeah. But this. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And this slideshow. This slideshow yes. that Giles puts on, I mean, set oh up like God, a freaking silent film, complete with music. Yeah. And I absolutely, oh my God, I love this scene. Macabre. I love this scene for so it. many reasons. Mm-hmm. So many reasons. Yes. But one of the things that I love about it is it suggests that Giles, <laughs> Giles did his research, you know, as per usual. Yes. And then stayed up all night drawing these overhead oh, yeah. projector slides, oh, yeah. like broke out oh, the yeah. red pen. Oh, yeah. 
I would have absolutely done that. Uh, you know, if it was me now, I would absolutely have a <laughs> keynote presentation ready to go. Yes, I completely identify with that part of Giles. I love Giles as like the showman yes. too. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, uh, with the with the music too. He puts on the dance macabre that is in universe music playing during it's this whole thing. I freaking so love great. it. It's so great. It's so great. And of course, because we're in this silent, you know, we're in this silent world. We get all of these. We get all of these gestures. <laughs> That I love. I mean, yes. talk about visual storytelling, right? Like, right. I don't need these people to say anything because I know from their sometimes disgusting hand motions <laughs> what's going right. on. Um, you know, of course, Spike gives us the up yours. And I think that becomes yes. part of his opening credits sequence eventually, doesn't it? Oh, I think, yes, it does. I love that. Yes, and it I does. love that they got away I mean, with that's that. that's basically the British middle finger, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and then, of course, Xander's misunderstanding of Willow's heart gesture, um, oh, which right. I don't actually mind so much. Uh-huh. But Buffy's masturbatory staking gesture, you mentioned that yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, mostly because I don't buy Giles being confused by it. Unless he's oxytocin poisoned yeah. from all of the sex with Olivia. I don't. And he's just got sex on the brain after being with yeah. Olivia. I mean, maybe, but I mean, it looks very much like it. I mean, it's very clearly a masturbation. Yeah, it doesn't like, look like gesture, staking. like how we, yeah, culturally, that is the gesture that we use for staking. And then when she goes and picks up her steak, yeah. and like, <laughs> it's pretty cute. I actually really like that. It just always cracks me up. I think it's my, pretty cute. <laughs> my favorite, though, is Anya's yes. subtle. <laughs> Right. Let's fuck gesture. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things ever. It's probably it's one of my favorite Anya yeah. moments ever. Um, it's it's so funny. It's so funny mm-hmm. and so great. And she does it so quickly, as though she's whispering yes. in gesture. Right. Emma Caulfield is <laughs> like nobody geez. else is going to see it. Exactly. So funny. Oh my god, she's um, amazing. But mm-hmm. the editing there, you know. So we have this hilarious moment with. Xander Mm -hmm. and Anya. The editing here is really Mm -hmm. interesting. So we go from Xander and Anya and that adorable, horrible gesture um, to Mm -hmm. Willow and Tara running away. So the edit Mm -hmm. on motion is Xander and Anya leaving to have sex Mm -hmm. and Willow and Tara running. And then later we cut from Mm -hmm. Willow and Tara chatting about the specialness of Willow and her powers to mm-hmm. Giles and Olivia cuddling on the couch. I mm-hmm. love that we're already framing this literally as a sexual relationship. It makes me so happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, the second they touch hands and look at each oh. other and then move the vending machine, like, this is a sexual relationship. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, please, yeah. like, please, please, please keep connecting these women to other established couples yes. on the show because I'm mm-hmm. here for it. I'm here for the foreshadowing. I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's it's awesome. so good. It's so good. <laughs> but yes moving moving soda machines by holding yes. hands so. no it's very magic magic is sex for them oh uh, yeah you know i mean we make that we make that association a couple of and, times you know and it's much better than the magic as drugs and real thing. early um mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah real early Absolutely. and real often mm-hmm. um yep so do I want to talk about touch because we just talked about sex or do I want to talk about food oh, sure. because it's my favorite topic? <laughs> you can talk about oh whatever you want. God. 
Oh my god. Um, I'll do touch, and then then we'll get to um, I'll get to to food because it's so it's okay. so geeky. Mm-hmm. Does anyone <laughs> does anyone but me care about Spike's snacking habits? I have no idea, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> love it. Okay, everybody wants Spike to snack on them. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. All right, all right, all right, all right. But I'm going to talk about touch because you brought up the magical hand holding, which I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, world with no speech, what happens? Everyone touches each other a lot more. Or maybe right. I just notice it mm-hmm. more. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Obviously, Giles and Olivia, we see them right. in bed together not once, but twice, which. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry that we don't see Olivia more. Yeah. She just kind of disappears. Although they do seem to have this very casual, like he doesn't go and pick her up at the airport. She flies all the way over from wherever the hell she was. I'm presuming England. England with, yeah. Right? And he doesn't even pick her up at the airport. I mean, that is a casual orgasm friend relationship, which, by the way, I am all for. <laughs> so um, so I am sorry that we don't see her again, although, like, I get it. You know, she came to stay with Giles and these creepy gentlemen, you know, came after the town and she doesn't want to have that experience again. It's weird. Yeah. But I also really love that this actress um, got the chance to have love scenes with uh, Anthony Stewart Head because I think that that's really awesome and good for her (laughs) yeah i'm gonna need you both naked in bed okay thanks (laughs) and she's like yes signed on i am not a crazy woman yes oh Oh, olivia you should have been so much more than just a sex object i know i wish we could have seen her again but i'm just glad i'm so glad she got that experience that i'm like okay (laughs) you know olivia is all of us really (laughs) yes exactly exactly. oh dear god um but speaking of giles giles being super Mm -hmm. affectionate with the the scoobies when everyone is silent yes when the, mm-hmm. When Willow and Buffy come in with their message boards and Giles mm-hmm. touches Buffy's shoulder in this like, I'm so glad oh, you're okay way. And then it's like so the sweet. embrace, like the side embrace with Willow because of course she's right oh, behind Giles. Oh, after she has high Giles. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear it's God. So sweet. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we see like, I love it. It's not even like 24 hours without speech mm-hmm. and Sunnydale is, you know, a war zone. Um, yeah. But we see Riley breaking up a fight in the street um, between a black man and a white man. And he attends to the black man mm-hmm. first, which I really appreciate. And then, of course, Buffy just breaks mm-hmm. the white guy's wrist because he's going to pick up a pipe. And I was like, all right, yes. Because why not? Right. Here for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, and that's when Riley and Buffy, who are working together very well in that moment mm-hmm. um finally embrace and kiss and there's literal fire between them thank you well you know. yeah they had to put literal fire because there's no <laughs> chemistry between them but they're but lonnie he's hot and she's hot and can't they just be hot together in my dreams like can't i think they can i think they can yes thank they can <laughs> but we're talking about touching we're talking about touching and not my mm-hmm. dreams um <laughs> Right. And we have we have Tara helping Willow through the exit and putting her hand on Willow's yeah. back. And then I have all of the gay lady feels. Makes me so Aww. happy. And then, of course, the mystical hand holding that ultimately, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in a world in a world without speech, 
touch is what yeah. is most powerful touch and seeing and at this point they have never spoken to each other because tara tried to speak up in the wicca group but willow didn't speak right. to her directly so they have they have this just naturally without ever having spoken to each other mm-hmm. you know yeah so i kind of like that yep yep which is in fact exactly what lesbian sex feels like um oh <laughs> like holding hands and well i mean if you've <laughs> ever wondered about what the deal is with lesbians and fisting it's strictly a means of barricading doors <laughs> you're welcome you're okay welcome. Hey, I'm it. allowed to it. make lesbian jokes, also, okay? <laughs> you are allowed to. You can make all the lesbians. It's my media company. You can do whatever the hell you want, baby. I love it, and I'm here for it. Um, but one of the interesting things, though, is that through this whole thing, like all of this touching, the gentlemen touch nothing. They use a scalpel to take out the hearts. It's their little henchmen that actually hold down the victims. The gentlemen touch nothing. And I find that really yep. interesting. Their feet don't even touch the ground. I know. It's great because they are like... <laughs> out of touch with because touching is so human uh, yeah. and intimate and they're so not and that if they touch yeah that they're well also yeah that maybe they're just not interested they're just not they don't want to touch it it's gross Ew, bodies <laughs> gross Ew, gross. gross i know i know <laughs> But, you know, what's funny, though, is that, like, getting back to, like, Willow and the Wicca and Tara and all of that, like, last week in Something Blue, we talked how much language matters, you know, to magic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And how Willow phrased her spell made a difference. Magic, like the universe, is a trickster. (laughs) But also, like, magic related to language is something that they're inextricably, like, everything that Willow has done, right, has had an incantation, a recitation of some sort. But this real magic that happens when she's with Tara is something almost different, right? It doesn't require any eye of new. It doesn't require any incantation. The two of them touch and then boom, magic, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's pretty cool. You know, and then we've got all this stuff at the the Wicca group, right? The Wanna Blessed Bees, you know? Um, the girl who makes an empowering lemon bunt, which, by the way, is one of my favorite lines ever, you know? <laughs> they are talk. They are all talk except Tara, who cannot talk, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and then uh, Willow would like to just float something bigger than a pencil someday, you know, which I find interesting because, of course, now they're going to move a vending machine together, but she only is able to do that because she's discovered Tara. That Tara, something in Tara's quietness, something in Tara's silence actually makes her power, her magic more powerful, despite the fact that her path to that power has always been through up until now, some kind of incantation, Mm. you know, which I find I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is our first, but by no means our last damseline of Tara. (laughs) We are going to put Tara in in Jeopardy so much in the show um and we do it right from the beginning yeah it's really unfortunate it's really really unfortunate especially because at the outset of this tara's a badass i mean tara's doing her research Uh tara's like Uh, looked up willow and is like cool all right so there's like this super powerful witch in my wicca group i'm gonna go find her i got my spells we're doing this thing. Yep. I'm going out at night, even though we all know that, like, yes. freaky shit happens at night. Yeah. 
Oh, and I love that she's like her design aesthetic is twinkle lights, which is also yes. mine, as I say this, in an office with no less than three sets of twinkle <laughs> lights lighting the place up. Um, I have twinkle lights all over my house. Noelle knows this. She's mm-hmm. seen it, you know. Um, so I love all of Tara's twinkle yeah. lights. Tara's whole, Tara's <laughs> whole aesthetic is just lovely. Yeah. I just, I'm very, very cool. Now, I'm very partial very, very to cool. Tara's aesthetic because that is basically what I looked like in 1999, except maybe like, I don't know, 50 pounds heavier, <laughs> but like the long skirt and the mm-hmm. sweater and the boots that was, and Aww. the flat hair, that was me in 1999. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. I want pictures of you Oh God, back I'm not <laughs> sure there are any. All of your Tara. I'm not sure there are many because oh. like, like many fat girls, I did not want to be photographed. So oh. I don't know. I'll see what I can dig up. I'll see if we can yeah. find like baby witch Noel pictures. Baby witch, baby yeah. Noel witch. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. All right. So tell me about Spike and hedonic I, eating. Okay. Have I? I feel like I've talked I about hedonic it. eating on this podcast before. Um, mm-hmm. it's possible that I have. It's possible that I haven't. If this is a repeat for you, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how much time we can like realistically spend on this but i love this characterization of spike so much so hedonic eating what what the hell is that so hedonic hyperphagia Mm -hmm. um or hedonic Mm -hmm. eating is eating for pleasure right it's eating we do because Mm -hmm. we anticipate the food feeling good or tasting good and not because our body like needs the energy from it necessarily Mm -hmm. so there's this wonderful exchange early on when spike tells giles that they're out of weedabix (laughs) <laughs> Giles explains that they're out because Spike has eaten it all and anyway don't vampires eat blood and Spike just nonchalantly mm-hmm. explains that he likes to crumble up the cereal in the blood for texture Aww. and then <laughs> and what I love is so like that if that weren't enough as he's saying mm-hmm. this he is getting settled on the couch with crackers and peanut butter and not a drop of blood in sight Oh, yeah. Peanut butter is huge. Like peanut butter throughout the Buffy verse. Angel loves peanut butter. Maybe I think vampires love peanut butter. butter. And if you ever need a vampire to take his meds, you just like put it in peanut butter and then (laughs) hide it in some peanut butter. He'll take it. He won't be none the wiser. Yeah. Okay. Good tip. Good tip. This is such a great character building moment Mm -hmm. for Spike. Spike is eating these like snack type foods and breakfast cereal. Because it's like fun, man. You know, like, right. <laughs> like he's taking this roommate situation seriously, right down to stealing Giles's mm-hmm. food, which presumably right. he doesn't actually derive any nutritional value from. Right? Like, it's yeah, he doesn't. Need it, it is literally mm-hmm. just for the pleasure. It's for the texture. It's for the the like the sensation yeah. of eating these mm-hmm. foods. Um, and it's sort of. I mean, maybe a little bit raises the question of vampire bowel habits, but I, I don't want to go there. That's <laughs> a different. That's a different thing. Yeah. But what I love, so we talk a lot about Spike as the truth teller, right? And there's this like certain mm-hmm. no fucks given kind of, you know, je ne sais quoi about Spike right. and mm-hmm. snacking um, mm-hmm. and having this like light human experience of eating these foods for enjoyment Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. there's also i mean it's also just like delightful here's this potentially monstrous figure having right you know peanut butter and crackers which is something that you know any one of us might do while we're watching this very show that we're discussing um 
Right. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. And there's one more moment. There's mm-hmm. one more moment that I absolutely love of this like pleasure mm-hmm. eating, snacking, pointing up the humanness of the character in question. And it's not yeah. Spike, actually. Um, <laughs> well, uh-huh. well, Giles is doing his overhead projector presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And. Uh, okay. I just said overhead projector, and now I'm like, wait, we might have, like, wee baby listeners who don't know what an overhead projector is. Well, if they've, if they've seen the, the episode. Yeah, but, then, like, that yeah, it's what teachers used, used to be a thing for audiovisual. That used, used to be, be a thing. thing. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, Buffy and Willow. So here we've got Buffy and Willow in, like, full-on classroom mode. Mm-hmm. You know, they're even mm-hmm. sitting in their usual yep. seats in the lecture hall. Yeah. Um, but not Anya. Anya has yeah. brought popcorn. Of course she Buffy has. Buffy and Willow are in school. You know, they're like taking this seriously. Yep. And Anya is at the movies. And that is why. Oh, absolutely. I love Anya so much. <laughs> I, lo- like, I love it. She's just here to watch the show. She is you and me. She just is. like here to watch she the show. Is. We don't have to no. solve the problem, Lonnie. We can just eat popcorn and watch the show. Exactly. <laughs> She's just there to see what's going on and just to be entertained. Yep. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right. So, Noelle, this week, what are you wearing? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the gentlemen and their, you know, suits and how, like, being a gentleman mm-hmm. means looking a certain way. Um, right. We've got the gentlemen's mm-hmm. suits on the one hand and their henchmen's straight jackets on the other. And there's probably mm-hmm. something to be said about, like... I don't know, like who we decide is sane and who is insane and, you know, the markers mm-hmm. of criminal insanity with a straitjacket and blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> but really what I want to talk about <laughs> is mm-hmm. Tara's red Doc Martens and oh, how yeah. just like perfect that is. I love that the shy girl mm-hmm. who can't quite speak up in Wicca Group is wearing these like mm-hmm. shiny She's got a lot Candy of fashion. Candy Doc Martin. Like, it's so good. It's so good. And so gay. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. I Aww, lo- I that's love- awesome. I love some good lesbian footwear. I mean, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah, that's what I got. We've already talked for freaking ever about this episode. I love everything about it. All right. Well, let me have Spike introduce our new segment, or actually our old segment, but introduce it in a new way for our Girl Power Moment of the Week. Oh, not with a girl pal, babe. All right, so Noelle, what is your Girl Power Moment? I like Buffy calling bullshit on Riley's papers excuse. He says he's got papers to grade, and then he's going to kiss her. And she's like, what papers? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh He just just, just whistles past patrolling Mm -hmm. slash petroleum, and she's like, whoa, hang on. (laughs) <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, I talked about research mode Tara and how much I mm-hmm. love her. Tara. Mm-hmm. Research mode Tara. Mm-hmm. It's Tara, goddammit. Yes. Like, <laughs> like the earth. Um, mm-hmm. I love research mode Tara. Talked about her with her spells of speech and silence in chapter 12 mm-hmm. of her book. She found it. She's going to go I get know. Willow. They're going to do the She's thing. She's so good. I love her. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously that fairy tale Scream. The princess saves herself. Princess of power. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) All right. So what's your favorite part? Anya at the movies. I mean, hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, it's pretty adorable. (laughs) It's pretty adorable. I got to say, for me, the the whole presentation that Giles does, especially that he brings in 
the dance macabre and plays it oh, of <laughs> on course. his little boombox. Yes! I mean, I just freaking love that he made this whole presentation and is so like scholarly. Like he holds up his index finger and it says one minute and then he pulls the thing. <laughs> it is so freaking the whole thing from beginning to end delights me. I'm delighted by Anya and her popcorn. I'm delighted by Buffy's masturbation <laughs> gesture. I love I don't even care that Xander's like boobs. Like I don't even like all of it. I just I love it all. I think it's just delightful. <laughs> If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Noella Loud, and the hashtag is, as always, still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our October producers. Jonathan, Noel, Kristen, Alyssa, Alice, Erica, Shelley, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers. Nowadays, every girl with a henna tattoo and a spice rack thinks she's a sister to the dark ones. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or make an empowering lemon bunt. <laughs> we'll be back next time with Doomed, the 11th episode of season four, with special guest Ian Martin of Passion of the Nerd sitting in for Noelle while she moves a soda machine using only the power of her gay will. Okay, she wrote that line. I said while well, she takes a nice and well-deserved break. I'm going to be moving soda machines with the powers of my gay will while I'm while I'm gone. What are you what? Okay, I'm just saying I didn't as the straight woman, I didn't write that line. <laughs> <laughs> I said it well, because I Noelle mean, asked me to and I love well, her. Well, would that be yes. what, is that better? Like like would it have been better if I had just changed it to while she gets hella laid? <laughs> hella laid. <laughs> No, what I'm saying is that me saying it sounds like I'm mocking. And I'm not mocking. I am 100% support of you getting hella late. So until then, (laughs) that's enough small talk, don't you think? (laughs) 